Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Bud, as we venture into our off-season podcast here, we'll start uh, just the same as we do always, thanking our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana. Fantastic product, fantastic partner. Uh, Louisiana hot sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. And uh, they make podcasts like these and every other thing that we do possible. And as always, want to begin the podcast by uh, thanking our friends that uh, make podcasts like these possible. Absolutely, man. We have a bunch of great sponsors, and, and they uh, they allow this show to happen. So, without further ado, let's let's get into it tonight. So, uh, I don't know if you saw this or not, but uh, Walt Bell, offensive coordinator, Ingram has left to take the, uh, the the job as the head coach of UMass. I know a lot of people uh, wanted us to have a podcast out, I guess Monday morning or Tuesday morning on this, but this should come out Wednesday morning. And uh, very much appreciate y'all listening. And look. Sometimes we have real life that gets in the way, and I can tell you that if I had podcasted last night, that was probably not going to be the best family-style decision, because last year, while we were picking out Christmas trees, I was on my Bluetooth the entire time while I was also texting. I think Ingram can remember this, so uh, you're getting the podcast now. But Walt Bell uh, probably won't need to buy a Christmas tree this year in Tallahassee, because he is on his way to UMass to be the head coach. Got to start by giving you credit, man. You were all over this as far as Walt Bell was going to take almost any head coaching job he could take. And you were on this early. I mean, I think back in an episode of, what, August, people said they heard it. I don't have time to go back and listen. But, man, you you were on it, dude. I I can distinctly remember us having a conversation, I think, in the preseason because we were debating this off air. And I said, like, do you think he would take Middle Tennessee if if, if Stock still left, the head coach at Middle T- Tennessee left? And you're like, oh, yeah, for sure. And I was like, man. I don't know. He could probably do better if he just stayed around for a year or two. And that was before the whole offensive line collapsed. And it was pretty clear, like, you know, this offense wasn't going to get you much of a job anywhere. But uh, you were right. He, he, he took that, that, that first plane out of town. He did. He did. Now, I, I don't know that I necessarily would have projected him to go to UMass, uh, but it was a guy that was eager to be a head coach. And it was uh, fairly evident immediately that uh, – his eagerness was not going to uh, parlay into somebody that maybe did the traditional path to being a head coach or somebody that you know wanted to uh, to cash in on a couple successful seasons at a at a marquee program and you know maybe land a, a low level SEC job or low level ACC job or something like that. No, Walt Bell wanted to be head coach. Walt Bell. So I, so that's the macro here. You got a guy that wants to be head coach. And then there's also a lot of micro and a lot of kind of layers to this that we can get into as far as how the season played out, uh, whether or not this was uh, something that caught them by surprise or what might have uh, served as a catalyst to this change. But I think you've got to be- begin the conversation by acknowledging that you had a guy who never planned on being here uh, for a long time and a guy that was uh, more than willing to take a job that wasn't necessarily a career stepping stone uh, that most would, would look at in the industry uh, when you're at a place like Florida State and you've got a job title like offense coordinator. Yeah, man, it, it is surprising in, in some ways, but if that's where he feels is, is the best for him, good luck to him, I guess. Um, you know, I, I don't know that this actually hurts the program. Look, you, you knew going into, the, into this you were not going to be the primary play caller. It was made pretty clear to you. You acknowledged it in early interviews with us, the, the the press that, you know, hey, you're here to run Willie Taggart's offense and you're here to coordinate it in practice, you know, that, that, that they run a, a clean, efficient machine and you make it easy as possible for him on game day. Like if you knew all that kind of stuff and then you're still upset potentially that you don't get to call plays early on in the season and you want more control over the offense. Look, I totally get it that your name's attached to it. All right. There's certain things in my work that bother me like that. That I'm like, man, if my name's on it, I want it done a certain way. So I get that aspect. But you got to know what you're signing up for. And if you know what you're signing up for and you get what you're signing up for, I don't really get the the tension there on his part. You brought up a good question pre-show. If you're Willie and things aren't working out and maybe you don't like like how this relationship's going, why why do you turn over play calling to him in order to flip that on its head? It's a good question. I mean, I think it's uh, it's probably indicative of somebody that realizes he needs to be you know even more of a head coach than he has been. I think it's maybe – you know, maybe you're just eager to try something as well. And uh, maybe you think there's a relationship here that's worth salvaging. Maybe you just want to placate a guy. Maybe you want to uh, – maybe you need to realize that you've got massive deficiencies, both on your roster and your coaching roster, and that 
you as a head coach are going to have to actually pay attention to make sure you put 11 warm bodies out on special teams, uh, that you have to, you know, uh, keep your focus on an area that, that most people at this level of ball would not really necessarily have to think is uh, something that the head coach has to keep in mind. So I think it's a good question, and I wish I had a better, more definitive answer to it, but uh, I don't. And it's it's something that I would be, uh, you know, if, if you gave me three minutes alone uh, with, with Willie Taggart, it would probably be one of the first things that I asked him. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. So, look, the timing on this clearly sucks, but I don't know that they actually are going to miss Walt Bell very much. I mean, at least from a coaching standpoint from a, a running practice standpoint from a offensive game planning standpoint I don't think he was bad necessarily but uh like that offense was was pretty bad this year and I don't think really any coach would have, would have made much of a difference with that they just they got their butts kicked repeatedly up front physically and it just you know nothing nothing was really going to happen like you you had a five man box you're running to repeatedly and couldn't do it couldn't get teams out, out of those looks they were playing where they were just giving you the run and you really couldn't take it but uh I don't think from that perspective that they'll they'll miss Walt Bell. I know some guys on staff won't won't miss Walt Bell. Walt Bell was was very about some Walt Bell. I think he probably is a, a bright young coach. And, and maybe you're right that like, you know, he he surveyed the situation and said, well, shoot, this offense is not going to be that much better next year. Like it could be, probably will be better. I mean, unless they just totally whiff on on get some JUCOs and some bodies in here. But is is my star going to darken a little bit? If I don't get out of here right now, am I going to have to go take an OC job at a, a lesser program than Florida State in three years if, if this doesn't get turned around? And then I won't be able to be a head coach until, like, I don't know, 2028. So maybe he wants just head coaching experience on his resume right now, even though it's probably going to be pretty tough to turn around UMass. I, I know some guys who coached at UMass, and uh, they, they thought that UMass should have dropped back down to the FCS level, which is the old D1AA for y'all out there who aren't up on the lingo. That's a really tough job, but maybe that's his read on the situation. We'll see if he turns out to be right. I mean, it's entirely possible that this year one, with all the stuff that happened, and it ends up screwing Willie Taggart here in his tenure. And, you know, a lot of stuff that happened, and then somehow he reacted to it, certainly. Not not blameless in it. We'll see. Uh, but, I, yeah, I definitely know some guys in that coaching room but will not be missing Walt Bell very much. They, they got to operate as a team, and I don't know that that he was always viewed as as the most like like team-type guy. Some people I know like took his his comments that he had right about like I'm just brought here to do what Willie wants me to do and all, all those kind of comments preseason that he was almost uh, like Eddie Haskell in it you know a little bit for younger listeners Google what that means. Some guys kind of took that as like 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 sarcastic and and almost like like I don't say passive aggressive but but kind of shot taken a little bit and and took that as surprising but I don't know I think it's just too early to to make a read on that in the preseason. Right. You just you don't know how things are going to work out. You don't. He's a bright, driven guy. Uh, best of luck to him. Uh, I think the bigger focus from the collective fan base, and, and we'll get into more recruiting uh, at the end of the pod, but uh, if you're going to talk about Walt Bell, I think you have to talk about Sam Howell. Let's at least give you know 90 seconds or so to uh, give our opinions as to how this impacts the recruitment out of the quarterback from North Carolina. Sure, and I know we'll, we'll talk about that more you know, when we get down kind of later to the recruiting section of the pod. But look, Walt Bell was by far the primary recruiter on Sam Howell. And I know this is something that Florida State was trying to remedy in some ways because they, you know, to be honest, like you want to have multiple guys have good connections with Sam Howell. But Walt Bell offered that kid like three or four years ago when he was still at Maryland. He's known him forever. He's known his, his dad for a long time. He's from North Carolina. He's a quarterback coach, and he's the offensive coordinator. So, so what does that all mean? Think about that, right? Like, you got to think about in recruiting, who, where's where's the secondary relationship come from? Right. Okay. So, is it, like here, here's where it could come from, right? Pre-existing relationship. In this case, nobody else has one with him. It could come from being the position coach. Well, guess who the position coach is? Wall Bell. It could secondarily come from being the coordinator on that side of the ball. Well, guess who the coordinator was? Well, Bell. All right, but hey, but but it could also come from being the, being the area recruiter, right? Who who does your area recruiting in North Carolina? Um, also, Walt Bell because he's he's from the Carolinas. You see, what I'm getting ahead. There's not really an opening now. I know that Taggart has tried to establish a relationship with with Bell, and there's all the idea like oh, Taggart hasn't visited him visited him and stuff. Look, there's a reason for that. You only get a certain number of visits as a head coach, and you have to use them wisely. So if you've got a kid 
already committed, it's better to establish that relationship with him on your own campus, which I was told by, by parents of other players that the last couple of times Howell's been there, Taggart spent a lot of time with him. So I think this idea that like, Taggart doesn't know him at all is wrong. But clearly, like the guy, if Sam or the family had a question, they were just going to call Walt because that's who they know. Like that's the guy that you deal with. So yeah, I, I think that their, their chances of getting Sam Howell uh, are, are greatly reduced. Um, now we know that that Willie Willie's going to go in home. I think on Thursday or Friday. I think Thursday actually to to go see Howell. But man, like I don't think they have a great chance right now. The saving grace might be that you know, look, Larry Fedora and those guys got fired too, and things aren't necessarily real great at Miami right now, which is the other program chasing Howell at the moment. Uh, and they signed a quarterback last year and a year before, whereas Florida State did not. I wouldn't be surprised if Howell ends up not signing early. And just sees how all this plays out. That's probably what I would do, actually, if I was him. You know, like obviously Florida State fans won't like me saying that, but I'd probably take my time and really kind of make sure so I could see what happens. But maybe he will. I guess we'll have to see. But that's sort of the dynamic there. They they don't really have a guy who's like the close behind number two relationship to Hal. It was Bell and then a huge gap. And for all the reasons I just listed. We'll uh touch on Hal briefly when we when we do go through recruiting again. We'll transition here from uh, a prospect that he was involved with to who ultimately replaces uh, Walt Bell. So, ton of uh, rumors and speculation floating around social media and everywhere else uh, the past 36 to 48 hours. Uh, so, why don't we just kind of break this down, give our opinion as to who it might be, who might be a good fit, who might be a uh, uh, kind of a misguided or a short term infatuation uh so a lot lot to discuss here and uh get the feeling that this could be a a fairly defining hire for willie taggart yeah it certainly could be um i mean you got to figure that he's probably not going to get to make many more of these in 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 the coming years unless he has somebody leave again hopefully that somebody would be leaving for success so a couple ways to look at this right like what does florida state need out of its offensive coordinator position and I think, Ingram, a lot of that depends on who is making this decision. I think there, there's two questions here. Is Willie making this decision or like are like the power players? You know, it, is it your, 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 your AD or at least your temporary AD until they get more full-time one uh, if, if Coburn's not the guy? Is, is, it, is it him? And, and He's got a real full-time feel to him recently. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but uh, that, that's just something to watch for. I, look, I, I totally agree with that. Is it, is it Coburn and Ed Burr? And Thrasher and those guys, because they're pretty heavily invested in, in, in Taggart having success at Florida State, as I think are a lot of people. Um, you know, they certainly want to see him do well, but they're also invested in, in the financial aspects of the program, and they need the program to make money because it doesn't have very much money compared to most of the schools that it's expected to compete against. Just because I don't think the AC Network's going to bring in, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars or anything like that, at least not early. So, like the the, the names we've been hearing so far, like a Hugh Freeze, for instance. It does seem like there's a common thread, and it's like this idea of getting a guy in here who's more of a, a big name, right, with, with a lot of experience. And, and that, to me, tells me that maybe some of those guys who I just rattled off, or maybe some other power players, maybe they feel like like Willie needs help with, with the experience side, with the organization side, that type of thing. Now, they may be right. They may not be right on that, by the way. Like, those type of guys making those hires don't always make the best football move, but sometimes they do. I think it's certainly possible that that they could you know group them together, and and end up you know doing something that's both good for the program, economically, but also great you know also good on the football side. I don't know that limiting yourself to a big name is necessarily the right idea, but I I do think that this is trending in a way to where you know Willie takes more of a step back from the offense, which may or may not be a good thing. You brought this guy in because he's turned several programs around in pretty definitive fashion uh, on the recruiting trail and and from a cultural standpoint inside the programs. Uh, And because he's done that a lot, on the field at least, with his offense. Does this move say that they think that Willie Taggart can't coach offense anymore? Or do you think it says that they feel that, like, the the programs within – or the problems within this program are just so severe that he's got to shift his focus more, uh, at least for now, to be more of a CEO type? I think it's more – the general level of disorganization that existed within the program, offensive side of ball, 
uh, in particular, but you had some issues, so uh, you know you don't have to get me started on special teams. I think I've made my opinion abundantly clear, but uh, I, I think it's more about trying to free up a head coach to be a head coach. Uh, in the corporate world, sometimes you can approach somebody who's maybe not doing quite the job that you think they should, uh, and, a, and a good way of saying that is that you know we want to get you some help uh, and, and free you up to, to do exactly what we're hoping you're able to do and uh, remove some of the other tasks that uh, are assigned to you. So I think that some of this is uh, generated out of the idea of not necessarily removing Willie from the offensive side of the ball, but removing uh, Willie's idea of allowing him to coach the entirety of the team. If he wants to spend a week coaching the offensive line, he can. If he wants to spend a week coaching the defensive backs or focusing on him, he can. Uh, But to give him some kind of – capable body or, or capable teammate when it comes to coaching uh, the broader offense. I, I, I think you're right on that. Like, I bet you if you asked Willie, you would prefer not to give up the offense. He likes to call plays and he thinks he's good at it. I think he's probably right. But with Willie, like, he may just need to focus on, like, because there's, you know, they got a lot of kids in his program who are not not great kids, man. And and you, you got to get to fixing that. You got you to get guys – you know, more in line, more focused, and, and understanding what they're doing even better. Now, it might also just be a, be a move that Willie's going to go along with, right? Like, like, like we we can't dismiss the idea that maybe some of the things like is is Willie going along with this because it's in his best interest to prolong his career at Florida State. Like, some of these moves, there may be a little bit of a conflict between what's best for Willie and what's best for Florida State. Is dumping all this money into an offensive coordinator, which I think if you're going to go get a big name, which I don't think you need to do again, right? I, I don't think that's necessarily the best idea because it really limits your pool, as we'll talk about in a minute. Does that help you with the power players and, and, and maybe buy you a, a year four? Or shoot, maybe buy you year three if, if you think year two is going to be a disaster again, which I, I don't really think it will. But is that really the best thing for Florida State to do, to, to spend all that money right there? Now, you may just tell me, but of course it is because like going to get a, a big name OC – is probably worth offsetting whatever kind of season ticket drop you're going to have, which we've been projecting for a while now anyway. Mostly due to that, that tax bill, but also because fans have just been so dejected for the last three Septembers, and I feel like there's this instant, like, damn, man, three years in a row now we've wasted our money on this stuff. It's really not that fun anymore feeling, right? What if, what if things did go south and you needed to get rid of Willie after year three and you don't let him get to year four? Well, there's going to be certain people who go hit up for checks to, to, to write that buyout check. You may not want them to say, well, look, man, you just made me go and, and you know, plop down a million, you know, 1.4 for a coordinator. I can't help you out right here. So there is a, some overlap in where the, a move could be really good for Willie and the program. I think probably most of that area is overlap. But there's also this potential where it, it could actually be somewhat of a negative for the program to, to go with such a high dollar guy. And you may just want to tell Willie, look, no, get a guy for, for 800 or, or, or get a guy for a million flat. Like we don't, we don't need to go high ones here. We don't need a guy with, with a famous name. Just get the guy who you think will help, will help you the most and, uh, and, and, and sink or swim on your own with it. I don't know. There, there's, there's so much stuff here that it's very difficult to, to project because hiring is a really tricky process. Very uh, hard thing to do. And, I don't think any hire or resistance to a hire uh, is ultimately going to trump the product on the field, and I know that's not what you were suggesting. Uh, but ultimately, Willie's tenure here is, is going to be dictated by how many ball games are won, and not uh, whether or not he was hesitant to make changes or bring in a particular name that a, a booster wanted or anything else. Now, he may sour a particular relationship, and at Florida State, there's only so many of those relationships uh, that exist. And so it's it's a, for the most part, it's a very large blessing. You don't, Florida State's boosters uh, as a whole, at least the power boosters, are not like particularly invasive compared to others. Uh, not necessarily going to... Uh, call you all the time and question what you called on third down or anything else. Uh, but there's only so many of them. If somebody really is hammering for, you know, former head coach at Ole Miss or a son of a controversial head coach or something like that, then, uh, yeah, you, you may risk uh, jeopardizing that relationship in particular. But ultimately, uh, Willie's tenure is going to be dictated by uh, product and, and results that come, come from, uh, you know, the games on Saturday. So I think it's probably appropriate that we – 
talk about some of the names that have been mentioned and uh, kind of what they would bring or give our particular opinion as to whether or not it would be a wise decision. Okay, so like, but I think there are certain elements that are common uh, that we think the guy needs to have, regardless of who's making the call, right? Is it big name boosters who who feel like Willie's not equipped to run the program and and, and needs you know experienced help, quote unquote, and they're not happy with him, or is it Willie? There's there certain qualities that whoever you hire has to have, regardless of who makes the call, right? Number one is that he has to run a similar offense, okay? Even if Willie gives up play calling duties, which I think he probably will if you go get a big name, that is okay as long as as, as the general offensive philosophy meshes. So Willie's at, at his core is a spread option type guy, spreading the field, running the football, and using tempo are, are some of the things he believes in, as, as well as making the defense actually account for the quarterback in the run game and being simple enough. Not something super complex, not an air raid system, which is why Cliff Kingsbury really didn't make much sense there. Not a traditional pro style, like a real like hardcore traditional pro style guy. Okay, so for that reason, some of the most famous guys may not be the best fit. I also think it's actually pretty important that you have a guy who is here for a minimum of two years. I don't want to go hire a guy, I don't think, who's only going to be here for a year. Because then you get to, optically, it doesn't look very good, to me at least, when that happens, right? Does that, does that make sense? Like, Because then you have Bell leave after a year and you have whoever else leave after just a year. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I think it's uh, good for stability. And uh, you need, you know, this uh, program in general needs coaches that are going to be able to turn in at least a two-year tenure. It's, it's, it's not a great thing. Uh, for any organization, particularly a program where you have somebody come and, and spend nine months, and uh, certainly not a great thing if, if that becomes routine. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so, you know what is a great routine, though? It's dipping into that BLT dip at Madison Social, man. That, that is awesome. And on December 8th, Madison Social, our longest running sponsor of the Nolcast, they have this pretty cool post here on their Instagram page. Follow them on Instagram for sure. Uh, unfortunately, the national media did a terrible job yesterday of omitting the most prestigious bowl of all, the December 8th Madison Social BLT Dip Bowl at 4 p.m. So 4 p.m. Saturday, this Saturday, December 8th, $5 BLT Dip and $5 Lethal Simplicity Cocktails uh, must be wearing Noel gear for deals, game ends at 8 p.m. So that'll be really fun. Please check out all the details on any of their social media feeds. That's Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, go, go get some of that delicious BLT Dip. December 8th at Madison Social, and maybe stop over to uh, Central or, or Township as well. We thank them for their sponsorship, and, um, and be sure to let them know that we sent you. So let's, uh, you know, we're, we're fortunate not to have to uh, spend too much time talking about candidates for sponsorship as we have uh, three fantastic ones and ones that have been with us since day one. But uh, let's jump into some of these uh, some of these names that have been bantered about and, and names that have uh, recently come up associated with the Florida State OC job. Sure. So uh, the the top one that, that you know a lot of people have heard is Hugh Freeze, right? So there's some positives with Hugh Freeze, Ingram. He runs a similar offense to Willie. It's a little more passing focused, but the, the framework is, is similar. And I'm sure that if, if Willie said, hey, uh, you know, run the ball more, that's not like such a, a, a drastic departure in, in what uh, what you want to do that, uh, that, that Freeze would, would balk at that, I don't think. I think he could be good. I don't know that Hugh Freeze is like an offensive genius, you know, but I think he's probably a pretty good offensive mind. I have no idea how Willie would gel with him. I think they know each other, though, at least. So that's that's encouraging. There's also some uh, some issues there, right, uh, with, with Hugh Freeze. Because Hugh Freeze is not employed right now. If you recall, he was run out of town for uh, not telling the truth about certain things, including uh, the use of you know cell phones to acquire escorts, perhaps on recruiting trips in Tampa. And that's not a great look, right? That's not part of this idea of, of the culture that Willie Taggart wants to create. We talked about this when, when Valori got his DUI under, you know, kind of uh, suspicious circumstances there, right? In, in, after, after, the, uh, after the Showtime crew had been there. Like, I don't know that Hugh Freeze is the guy you want to go get. Now, I get it. It could totally work out. But, I, man, I just don't know that that's who you need to go get, right? Maybe you do. I don't know. There's also the you know like he, the, the hypocrisy of it all with, with just the, the the constant you know like Bible Bible thumping and just and and look I'm a Christian I you know like I I don't have any problem 
with that. But there is definitely a look to where if you're constantly tweeting all that stuff out, and then we find out you have all this stuff going on, which is totally contrary to your message, it's just not a good look. And I think Hugh Freeze is an excellent recruiter, but we haven't really seen him have to recruit against his own baggage in that regard. Like, like obviously, the NCAA stuff and whatnot is something he's had to, he's had to recruit against and did a pretty decent job with it. But I, I just don't know if that's necessarily the, the best hire. And when I heard that name, I was kind of like, all right, so this might be an indication here of the big money people demanding a name, but is that name really the best fit? Right? I, I don't know. What do you think about, about Brother Hugh? So, yeah, um, I don't have to go into details uh, of it, but this summer I became uh, particularly kind of got a, a crash course in, in Mississippi sports and made uh, a series of connections, one of which was uh, worked about as closely to, with, with Hugh as, as possible. I sent him a message today. I'm not going to name the guy, but I don't think he'd have a problem with me sharing this. His response to whether or not Hugh Freeze was ready to be an OC or a coordinator somewhere. If he can be convinced to get off Twitter and quit worrying about what everyone else thinks of him, he can be good somewhere. Uh, But I think that's a tall ask. He also needs to lay off the holy roller thing. It's not for me to question whether his faith is real, but I think he uses that as part of his appeal, and it's very off-putting to a lot of people. I have a very close older friend who had a polite way of describing people he thought were suspect. He always said he bears watching, and I think that's very applicable to Hugh Freeze. I completely agree with that. Like, really, I, you know, my, my buddy sent me a message today. He said, I, I want Willie to do what made him successful in the past. I'm sure he's getting pressure to go another way, but, but I don't like that idea that he's bending to it. It feels desperate. And I, I couldn't put it any better, man. It does, doesn't it? It, it really does. Uh, so, you know, I, I hope that he's able to come to some sort of common bond with the administration that uh, he's able to, fi- like, hire a guy who ha- has experience Fits his culture and fits his offense. We've also heard the name Kendall Bryles. Again, I'm not going to go over all of the stuff that happened at Baylor, but there's a lot of really concerning stuff, not just with Art Bryles, but also with Kendall. And yes, Kendall's an extremely talented offensive coordinator, but I think for a variety of reasons, including the fact that you had the New York Times camped out, like, like basically having like a bureau office in Tallahassee, Florida, during all the Jameis stuff, which, look, was largely BS. There's no doubt. I'm totally with you there, FSU fans, on, on, on a lot of those opinions about, about that. But it's just a really, really bad look, especially because his last name is Bryles. So I, I just, look, that's just not a good idea. And, and I know that, that a lot of the inspiration for Willie's offense has come from you know the, the, the Baylor system. And when you ask about where, where the offense came from, you get a lot of sources, right? You get a lot of like, oh, well, you know, I talked to this guy and this guy and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think part of that is because not wanting to actually say the name Bryles and Baylor because there's a stigma with it. So for that reason, if you're not really willing to acknowledge that a lot of your offense is, is kind of Baylorish, I would not be in favor of bringing on Kendall Bryles as an offensive coordinator. I, man, I just refuse to believe that you can't find a good offensive coordinator at Florida State who doesn't have some sort of history of like sexual misconduct or enabling it or being involved with uh, sex workers or, you know, on, on the company's diet, man, like you got to be able to do better than that. I think, uh, I think the first two, one, I don't think freeze is uh I don't think freeze probably by the time that we get this posted is going to be nearly the, the serious candidate that, that some viewed him to be now or, or particularly some viewed him to be 24 hours ago. Uh, Bryles, I think, is a hard no for the reasons that you listed. With this institution at this point in time, I don't think either of those guys is, uh, is something that is, is the right direction for Florida State to step. If you hear all the stuff that these current coaches say about, about the kids on their team, Right. And how like they got there's got a lot of like locker room clean out to do. I don't think Kendall Bryles is the first name that comes to mind when I think changing the culture and fixing up the culture. Right. Like that's not that's not a fit. Um, Now, one name we have heard that I think would be interesting is, is Mike Sanford. You know anything about Mike Sanford? Uh, a little bit about him. Yeah, I do. And I'm intrigued. I don't know that I'm in love with it, but I'm more intrigued by this possibility than the first two. So Mike Sanford is, is 36 years old. He played at Boise State. He was, he was a QB. He was on the uh, Western Kentucky staff, uh, I, I believe, with, with Willie. They also crossed paths under Harbaugh. 
and uh, and the Stanford staff. Then he be, he was Boise State's offensive coordinator for a year under uh, Peterson. Or, wait, was that Peterson still 2014, or was that with with Harson? I'm looking this up real quick. I apologize, folks. No, so that, that was that was did not overlap with Peterson. That, that was Harson's first year there in Boise. Then he was Notre Dame's offensive coordinator from 2015 to 2016. A guy guy who was thought of very highly. He went to Western Kentucky. You know, he was having to follow up Brom. Things did not go his way. He got let go this year. After two years, they had some really declining attendance. He runs a similar offense to, to Willie. I think he believes in a lot of the, a lot of the principles that Willie believes in. If you're looking for a guy who doesn't have an objectionable background, but who does understand what Willie wants to do on offense and actually has experience running his own program, has also worked under Brian Kelly at, at a major school and has worked under Harbaugh and, and, and David Shaw. You know, all those things are are pretty interesting to me that would make him an intriguing candidate. Now, certainly he just got fired to Western Kentucky, so we can't gloss over that. But that, to me, would make a little bit more sense in terms of overall fit than going with, with a Hugh Freeze or with a Kendall Browse. Or there's probably a lot of other candidates out there that you could go get. I think if you're a Florida State fan, you have to hope that, that there can be a good balance between, you know, name fit, experience fit, Offense fit and cultural fit. They got to be able to thread this needle. It's it's arguably one of the most important hires that, that Taggart's going to make if he's going to turn this around and end up being successful in Tallahassee, which we'll see. Anybody else we want to talk about here before we transition uh, almost fully to recruiting? Some people have asked us about Fedora. I just don't know what, what Larry Fedora is going to do. He, I think, is a pretty bright offensive mind. They do run similar in some ways offenses, certainly. Uh, but I, I don't know if if that's where they want to go. I, I guess we'll see. He does drink a lot of Red Bull, though, and, and he is really jacked. He does drink a lot of Red Bull, definitely. He's a fitness-minded individual who drinks a lot of Red Bull. I, I'm always uh, – now, slightly, this is going to be uh, not exactly in line with Sanford, who I think would be a decent choice, but Fedora more always hesitant to take somebody that's been a, a prolonged head coach somewhere – and try to immediately turn him into a coordinator. Uh, that's just something that's not uh, always a perfect fit, and I would be beyond shocked if, if Larry Fedora was was given serious consideration for this job or if he would give the, the Florida State position uh, real consideration at this point. Okay, so that's exactly another good point to bring up. If you get Hugh Freeze here, how long is Hugh Freeze going to be in town? He's, a one, he's what we just talked about, very likely. He's a nine-month guy. That's not great for program stability. I think Fedora could easily be in that same vein, right? Like, I, I think you got to get two years out of this guy. You know, I, I, was, I, was, I was talking to Jeff Cameron today about this. Like, look, you need to, to get this guy for two years because you don't want to go off in, like this, you know, different offensive coordinators in back-to-back years. And I know some of the players certainly were tweeting that they weren't really sad to see Walt Bell go. Yeah, it didn't look like it broke DJ Matthews' heart. That's for sure. No. <laughs> Uh, sort of with that tweet, uh, yeah, that was that was interesting. Um, but man, I don't know that like that some of these guys are going to be here for for more than a year, especially if they're that like super climber type, or if they're that type that really like they view themselves as a head coach and they don't want to do the office coordinator type stuff, or it's just a placeholder. That's not who you want. We also don't know if if Freeze is going to be able to get on either at Alabama or or at Tennessee. Right? Those are two other schools that may have interest in him. People that I spoke with in Mississippi, and, and yeah, I, I don't take this as gospel, but they weren't positive that the SEC commissioner was going to be really in love with the idea of Freeze uh, immediately reentering the league. So uh, just something to watch. Well, last year was the issue. Do you, do you recall this last year? Because the, the word on the street last year was that there was, a, there was um, interest in Freeze in Tuscaloosa and that maybe uh, – Sankey rumored in Athens as well at one point. Yeah, and Sankey was not about it. Right. The SC commissioner uh, maybe was not real cool with that. Um, Now, I don't know what he's been doing in the meantime. Maybe some consulting work or something like that. Uh, No idea. But (laughs) anyway, I I think they they should be able to hire a good candidate. Clearly, like they're going to say, hey, look, we're going to give this guy three or four years because we don't feel like it's appropriate to, to only give anybody two. And that... It's going to make a lot of sense. So you want to get to recruiting? We, we have some some pretty, uh, I would say, more more on the positive side of recruiting news here uh, tonight. 
Yeah, let's. Uh, so we, you know, I might have thrown us a little bit out of whack with a Sam Howell conversation earlier, but uh, let's briefly circle back to that, and then we'll just kind of make our way through some prospects on the board. Oh, by the way, uh, Sanford actually found uh, Ian Book, I believe, for uh, for Notre Dame, the, the guy who's currently starting for them in the playoff. So pretty good, pretty good recruiter. So just to, to quickly pick up on Hal, like we said, Taggart goes in home on Thursday. That's going to be a really important visit. You'd love to have that that kid sewn up and actually recruit for you, but that that's really not who Sam is, right? Like he's not a real real vocal recruiter. He he's not one of these guys like a just just not like that either on social or I think in person he does a pretty good job actually. Florida State, I honestly think was probably going to bring in two quarterbacks in this class. It may have been Sam early and then another kid late. You know, just depending um, on, on who else shook out or or maybe some kind of transfer. Two transfer we've often been asked about. Number one, Khalil Tate. I guess it's possible. I, I haven't heard anything definitive on that yet, but we'll, we'll see. The, the, the guy who was a, a superstar at Arizona in 2017, and you know, really disappointing 2018, kind of hampered by a by a leg injury for a time. You know, with with Tate, I do wonder if he is really focused on passing, right? We, we see that sometimes with these young dual threat kids. They have a lot of success early but, you know, because in large part, defenses have to respect their legs so much. And then they want to start focusing on their passing. And I think we've actually seen this in Tallahassee before, maybe in the early part of this decade. And they don't necessarily realize that what made them so dangerous was the actual dual threat element. I think you'd have to have a serious conversation with Tate. Like, hey, are you willing to actually run and run this offense? Right? Like, like this is a lot more similar of an offense to what Rich Rodriguez ran with you in 2017 than to what Kevin Sumlin ran with you in 2018. The other possibility is, of course, Jalen Hurts. Hurts, who came in and had a big-time game for Alabama against Georgia, and uh, Georgia totally misusing Justin Fields, apparently, at all times. Like <laughs> It's like they're trying to set some kind of record for... Did you see the post, by the way, where... I, I couldn't tell. The guy's huge. It might actually be Shaq hiding behind a, a street lamp. Yes, yeah, behind the, behind a, a, a lamp or a tree or whatever it is. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's, it says uh, um, Georgia hiding Justin Fields in its putt formation. And, like, probably 95% of Shaq's body is showing behind the, uh, the the lamp or the post or whatever it is. My only thing with Jalen Hurts is, and I do think you need to get a, a very mobile kid in here, because this, this offensive line, it might be good in 2020. It won't be good in 2019. They're just trying to get it back to below average, in my opinion. you got to get a mobile kid in here. Jalen Hurts fits mobile to a T. But do you think he follows Mike's Lo- Mike Loxley to Maryland now that Loxley's been named the head coach of Maryland? I think that is a, a development that uh, didn't didn't do anybody any favors in Tallahassee. I, I don't know that uh, Florida State was necessarily the leader in the clubhouse, but I think they thought they had a, a decent chance of uh, being one of the final teams that's considered uh, if he ultimately does leave Alabama and Tuscaloosa. I think that that's uh, been, been further complicated by Loxley uh, going to College Park. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, and it also opens up a spot in Alabama potentially for freeze if he, if he was to take that, if, if the SEC was to approve that. Anyway, we'll, we'll probably have some more quarterback names for you as well. Uh, I know there's like, some interest maybe in, in the kid who Kentucky has right now out of Louisiana, uh, but we'll have to, have to check in on that to see how serious that interest is. Uh, but something that's very serious is the home loan process. And with Resolution Home Loans, they want to get you – lined up for your home loan. They want to do it fast. They don't want false start penalties. They're not ha- trying to have a, a, a 2018 Florida State season with all these offensive penalties and, and, and slowing the process down. No, they want to get you going right. With Chad and Shannon, Noel grads, huge Noel fans. It's a Noel-owned business. They want to make sure that you're going to get the best possible home loan. They've already hooked up double-digit listeners uh, for that. And by the way, we're getting this, a couple more T-shirts in. So if we promised you a T-shirt for closing on your loan, those will be coming out to you, uh, I think, fairly soon, as Ingram's supposed to get the shipment in reasonable time here. With the Almost Home program, they want to make sure that you're ready to fire on your home loan. We've had a number of people tell us what a great experience it was. We've Even people who, you know, who didn't end up buying a home told us, hey, when I decide to actually buy one, I'm going to go back to the, these guys because they, they really treated me right. It was great. And so I was really, really happy to hear that. We had nothing but good feedback from 844-FSU-LOAN. It's 844-FSU-LOAN or fsu Home Loans. Dot com. It's FSUHomeLoans.com. They want to protect you, and we need to find some protection in Tallahassee because this this uh, this offensive line is terrible. 
And there are very few current players in the program who I project to ever do anything at this position. I think you got a lot of dead weight here that's just never going to amount to a damn thing on the football field. And if that's rude, I'm sorry. Now, junior college is the way to do that immediately. Look, junior college kids don't always work out, but we do know that there are more college-ready bodies in the JUCO ranks. And we should probably have a quick Josh Ball discussion here. Josh Ball today, a lot of, a lot of stuff stirred up on Twitter uh, we've discussed Josh before on, on this podcast. Obviously, he was you know, suspended from Florida State or booted for, you know, for a year. Eligible, I guess, to apply for reinstatement, not guaranteed to get reinstatement. We've heard a lot of whispers they'd love to have Josh Ball back, but uh, you know, he was booted for um, like a Title IX dating violence thing. You can read the, all the, the, the details of that online. And, you know, look, I'm not a fan of these Title IX kangaroo courts. I don't think that's a real fair process. And at the same time, I can tell you, I don't think it's a great idea to take Josh Ball back. I think that Josh Ball maybe should have a right to play football somewhere. But I don't know that it's a great fit to bring him back at Florida State. And I think if you looked at kind of the, the firestorm on social media today, that was probably a pretty good indication of what will happen if you do try to take Josh Ball back. So I'm assuming the staff is seeing that and, and kind of reading the tea leaves and saying, eh, you know, that, that may not be the best, the best. Now, he does know the offense. There's no doubt about it. He went through spring ball with them before the the you know the, the Title IX committee or, or judiciary or whatever decided to uh, to suspend him for the year. He's at Butler Community College in Kansas, and I mean we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I think a lot of this got got hyped up or not hyped up, but kind of blown up today because the athletic picked up the story. Sean Reed talked to the uh, the coach and kind of got a, a more official word from his junior college coach that, that he thought that would be the plan. I don't think Ball spoke in the story. I didn't actually read it. I, just, you know, I saw what he was tweeting about. What do you think? Would you bring Josh Ball back? Nope. Can't do it. Can't do it. Not at this institution. Not uh, in this day and age. And and I I would have had that opinion in general. And I particularly have that opinion after his accuser gave the quote that she did. Uh, it's just so like a lot of times we're talking about things that are, you know, you can only look at them through the through the prism of high-level collegiate athletics. This one is a little bit different. Uh, if, if any of our listeners are, you know, at, at their company and uh, and your company hires somebody who's got a history of physical violence or something like that, and then all of a sudden, you know, that guy decides to rough you up around the, the water cooler because he got mad that you cut in line or something like that, then uh, you're going to have a you're going to have a pretty significant legal case with your company as to why they brought somebody back uh, and, and kind of put them – uh, in a place where you'd have to interact with them. And I, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not going to act like one. Happened and, and, and fortunate to be paired with someone who knows the law at a, a level better than I do. I don't think you can do that if you're Florida State. And if you were to bring Josh Ball back, and if he was to have a abusive encounter with another student, particularly another female, you put yourself in a place to... Uh, Really, you were your own worst enemy here. And Josh Ball's a decent player. He certainly would have been a fantastic addition from an on-field production standpoint this year compared to what you had to run out there. But in in this case, uh, and in my opinion, the the juice is not anywhere near worth the squeeze. And I would uh, I would hope that Florida State would not entertain this for for all that long. Yeah, and look, I don't know what happened in this. I know that there are definitely people connected to the program parents of current players who say like hey what was in that you know in that thing was was not actually what happened i i just don't know about what actually happened but i do know how it looks and specifically at florida state i don't think it's a good idea so i'm, I'm totally on board with you there from one junior college tackle with baggage to another uh kadeem telfort who was uh, had to leave florida after he was caught up in their whole uh, credit card fraud ring thing that they had going on it seems like the vast majority of the credit card charges that he were, was making uh, were candy-related at gas stations. So certainly still wrong. There's no doubt that, that, that that's, you know, like dishonest conduct. Um, something that I think is a lot easier to sell to people. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about like selling laptops, but... Absolutely. All day. All day bring this kid in. If you got a chance to bring him in... Uh... South Florida product. You mean instead of ball? Oh, given the choice of gets he and anybody, I would. I, I have no problem bringing this kid. Look, if a kid makes a, a dumb decision and 
does some stuff with credit cards that he shouldn't at a young age. Man. Yeah. And there were nine of them, by the way, at Florida. It was, I mean, you're talking like about a tenth of the roster was was caught up in this in some way. I'm not, I'm not excusing the guy's conduct. It's clearly not legal, right? Like, and and he did it multiple times. So it wasn't like it was just a one-time thing. However, you know, for the most part, the charges were small. I, I, I want to look into it more. But I'm a little bit more open, I think, from like a how does it make you feel type standpoint of bringing Telford in. Um, he doesn't have an offer yet either. And it's, I don't think his Juco film is all that great. you got to make sure the guy's in shape and you got to make sure he can actually help you. But you know, he may be coming on an official visit. I, I think he said he, he was on, on maybe the 15th or the 25th. Um, but, yeah, he's a guy who may be able to help you. Jay Williams, they, they still expect in. Uh, I know Texas offered him today, junior college kid out of California. Uh, Josh Newberg reported that Desmond Bland, the Nebraska junior college kid, uh, is no longer visiting in December. I think he's going to visit in January. That's because he's not going to be able to be a mid-year enrollee. We'll have to check in uh, on their interest level in, in Desmond Bland. I, I haven't really asked him about that. And then uh, Josh Cooper, who was a Mississippi State signee, I believe, at one point, um, also receiving some interest. And to be honest, about like four or five more junior college kids are on their radar. I think between grad transfers, and I'm, I have a grad transfer thing I'm going to be releasing here within the next week. Uh, between grad transfers and junior college kids, I think it's their goal to bring in three upperclassmen bodies on, onto this this thing. I, I think they need it. I think you need to bring in three players to start next year who are, are not on your current roster. It doesn't mean all three of the JUCO-type kids you bring in will be automatic starters, but if you sign like a grad transfer and two JUCOs and you're able to get two starters out of that look and then you're able to, you know, have maybe one true freshman starter or something like that. I think this line could could make a be a major upgrade from uh like terrible, you know, worse than the power five to like below average. And that would be a, a just, just such an incredible upgrade for him. Be a welcome addition. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think uh, almost similar that uh, what we were talking about with the offense coordinator. I just think there's there's a lot of bodies out there. There's a lot of uh, things that Florida State can do, and maybe Josh Ball's not not one that has to be involved. So uh, something we'll keep an eye on. Certainly update people as the uh, situation kind of unfolds. Uh, we'll transfer from uh, JUCO to high school high school prospects and uh, start with with Will Putnam, a name that we've talked about an awful lot, state champion high school wrestler, a kid out of Central Florida who uh, not necessarily like a born and bred Florida kid, but a a guy that uh, Florida State's put themselves in a pretty decent position with and is one of the the higher prospects on the high school board of the offensive linemen they've evaluated. He is. And, you know, I, I, I think I've said my theory before that, look, if, if Florida State was going to land Putnam, I think he would have already committed because they've been on him for so long. But, you know, I, I know people at Clemson and I know people at Auburn. I know people at Florida State. And I've kind of chatted with them. I was like, what do, you, what do you think? And they're like, eh, maybe, but maybe not, man. It's a tough kid to read. And, and they think he's just taking his time with the process and, and making sure he's going to make the right decision. I, I can tell you that, that I feel like I get pretty honest feedback from, from those programs. And none of them have told me, hey, we've got him. Like, he, he's coming. Or, like, yeah, we really feel like he's coming. I don't think he's given a silence to anybody. Florida State was in home this week, like you said. And you know, we'll, we'll have to see what happens with that. But that's kind of the update. No, None of the three programs for, for Putnam feel like they've got it locked up. They also extended the new offer this week to, uh, to Nick Penley, a uh, kid out of Georgia. Miami offered him today as well. They're they're doing a, I think a pretty smart job to uh, to offer more kids. I don't think they're going to get Evan Neal. I think they're going he's going to go to Alabama. But he tweeted, bud. He tweeted. Yeah, he he, t- he tweeted basically so that so that he could draw more attention uh, to his signing uh, signing ceremony. And then you know Dante Lucas went on an official visit to Miami. Really enjoyed it. Uh, I don't think he's going to sign with Miami. I think he's going to stick with Florida State most likely. And here's why. Dante really likes every single visit he takes anywhere, ever, basically. But he still has the longest lasting relationship with Telly Lockett, Florida State's tight ends coach, who you know was was tight with his dad, coached his brother at Miami Central, has known Lucas's mom forever. That's a really important relationship. That's somebody that a parent can trust and that Dante trusts. Florida State has the last visit, by the way, on their big visit weekend when they're bringing everybody in. Dante's going to Florida this weekend. He wants to take official visits. He wants to have fun. 
But I know somebody fairly close to the process here, and they think that in the end, Dante will stick with Florida State. So I trust that person hasn't led me astray, and uh, that's kind of what you know what you hear on Dante. I know some websites this week had said uh, that he was maybe 50-50, and I was like, I, I, I don't know. I, I think I'd wait a day or two and see if that post-visit high you know, kind of wears off for Miami, and I'm betting that it has some. Looked like the uh, coaching staff, I believe, was uh, in-house with Dante tonight. Uh, if Florida State were to somehow lose that kid, it would be uh, one of the more disappointing developments, a guy that I think the whole fan base, at least the part of the fan base that follows recruiting to a level to be familiar with an offensive line prospect is uh, fairly infatuated, perhaps maybe even in love with some of the film that's come out surrounding Lucas and just a guy that uh, offensive line desperately needs as far as the physical capability, but an individual that looks like he uh, very much possesses the type of attitude that uh, a Florida State offensive lineman or a Florida State's offensive line is, is desperately in need of. Yeah, there's there's no doubt, man. They've got to get bodies in here. I would say on the last uh, the last thing of the night here, and I'm sorry we don't have time to get to questions tonight. I mean, we're already you know coming up on an hour. Uh, we'll probably do a mailbag episode pretty soon, or another one at least. We've been doing doing a lot lately, and y'all y'all seem to like them. So that's solid. But I'm guessing we've answered most of y'all's questions tonight, or, or at least a lot of them, just organically in the show. Uh, wanted to mention that Florida State went in home with Kalen Deloach on Tuesday. That visit went extremely well. Kalen will take his official visit to Florida State. On the, I believe, the 14th, uh, which is that big visit weekend that FSU is bringing everybody in on. We'll see if they have that thing wrapped up. I, I think they've got a good shot, too. All right, folks. Hopefully that gives you a better idea as to where Florida State stands, both on the recruiting trail and who might be a next uh, offensive assistant and who might not be, just based off maybe not the best of fits. So, uh, like you said, Bud, we'll be back uh, fairly in the fairly near future with a, a mailbag episode, or at least a, a partial mailbag episode. Pretty exciting time of year as far as you see recruiting unfold, and uh, be very interesting to see what ultimately Willie Taggart does uh, with his first uh, full recruiting class. So, as always, want to thank you uh, for the time to do one of these. want to thank our listeners for the fantastic support we've received over the years, and as always, thank our sponsors. And uh, until next time, this has been uh, another episode of the Nolcast.